This is Valor Radio. Valor, strength of mind and spirit that enables a person to face danger with resolve and determination in battle or in any other situation. Valor, like that displayed by veterans of every branch of the military throughout our community. This radio show, Valor Radio, salutes all of you who have raised your right hands to volunteer to protect and preserve our unique American way of life. Thanks for joining us and your brothers and sisters in uniform. When liberty's in jeopardy, I will always do what's right. I'm out here on the front lines, sleeping peace tonight, American soldier. Now, Valor Radio. Well, hello and welcome once again, soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, coasties, guardians, civilians serving by their side, and the families back home uh, offering encouragement and support and love into the big tent we go. Uh, We have Colonel Paul Simonelli on hand. The captain not with us this week. No, he's on shore leave and uh, uh, hope to have him back. Real soon with us. But, you know, everybody needs a break now and then. So give them a little bit of a break. Steve, we're thinking of you, buddy. So, uh, so much going on in the military, but in the world, too. Where where to start? I know. I I mean, we can start at home. Well, we can start at home, but let me start with, uh, you know, a lot of times we talk about things here. Steve and I were talking about this the other day. always try to find something positive, you know, to move, move ahead and uh, give us some hope and other things uh, just because life is tough. Everybody's working hard. And uh, this is a, a probably in my lifetime. Um, I mean, I was alive, although I don't remember the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, I, you know, and uh, some other things significant that, but I, I think in my lifetime, this is probably the toughest time I can remember in this nation's history um yeah uh, in, in my lifetime yeah well i mean but i mean your your life and mine pretty much overlap i mean i got there about 10 years before you but uh <clears throat> i remember you know the, the nuclear uh drills all the time sure i remember that and <clears throat> but right now though but at least we knew we, we could identify the threat I think the threat was easily identifiable in these other things that happened in our lifetime this What's going on right now from every angle, um, it's all the things that I think the founding fathers were afraid of, uh, the reason for the Bill of Rights to try to keep government in check. Um, And right now it just seems like government is absolutely, whether it's uh, national government or state or local, completely out of control and, and completely doing things on their own without any any constitutional fi- authority or or moral uh, right you or, know, or any 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 fear of 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 anything happening from the people that put them there but i do like to start with something positive so we got a nice note this week yes. folks and yes. i got to tell you i love getting emails um i love getting emails i love when people write things on uh facebook uh good or bad i mean we're we're not perfect here obviously but uh Nothing better. I, I, you know, you've heard me say this on the show many times before. When I was deployed someplace, even after electronic email was available and other things, there is absolutely nothing better than put getting an envelope uh, with a note in it 
And uh, we received one this week, August 1st. It was dated from uh, Mr. Pete Harrington uh, of Rochester, New York. And uh, just once again, very complimentary. It says, uh, Dear Bob and Paul, thank you so much for WYSL and Valor Radio. I began listening uh, to you intently last year. The topics you touch on, our politics, military, and other issues are important, along with your research and perspectives. Valor Radio has become my personal radio-free Europe. I enjoy and need your program so much for keeping my hopes up and staying informed. Thank you for caring about the country, the citizen, and the soldier. Your faithful listener, uh, Mr. Pete Harrington. Pete, Peter, thank you very much. We appreciate it. We always love to hear those things. And, uh, and thanks for taking the time to write. Right. Uh, that, that means a lot to it us. It does. And I'll tell you, when we get letters like this, folks, it makes our day. And by the way, I, I just wanted to uh, uh, just circle back on that. There's a reference in there I wanted to explain to a lot of people who may not know what that means. Radio Free Europe was a shortwave and broadcast service which was operated by, I think it was the USIA, wasn't it? Yes. Um, uh, you know, basically an out- outreach and intelligence organization within the U.S. when we had a federal government who loved the country. And we would broadcast uh, through, um, uh, let's see, it was Radio Free Europe and there was, was it Radio Liberty? Was that, is that the other one? Yeah, I don't remember. There was, a, there was yeah. another service too. And this was aimed at countries behind the Iron Curtain, a term uh, um, coined by Winston Churchill. At the uh, uh, yeah the Missouri uh, uh, commencement speech back in 1946, the Iron Curtain delineating the Soviet, Soviet Warsaw Pact nations after World War II, and we would broadcast the truth to these people. It's telling that uh, Mr. Harrington sees us as his own personal radio for Europe, a place where he can go to get the truth, and we do make an effort to. Uh, to tell you guys what's really going on. And thank, thanks for recognizing that. Yeah, and we once again, we really do appreciate it. And we love hearing from you, like I say, good or bad. If you don't like something we're saying or don't agree, we want to hear about that too. Uh, because this isn't a limited speech zone. We, we want to hear uh, and we'll, we'll listen to all sides uh, and try to discuss them. Absolutely. So, um, I, you know, we could just spend the whole show talking about what's going on uh, with a former president and what just absolutely unheard of uh, in, in, in the history of, of this nation, what's going on. But uh, we're not going to talk about that right now. I think we got to stay closer to home. Uh, we have uh, some new laws taking effect uh, first week in September. Actually, I, I understand are going to be uh, up and running by the middle of September, by September 13th. And that involves how... Uh, the firearms business is going to be done in New York State. Uh, in a totalitarian way, by the way. Uh, spoiler alert. Right. So um, there's been sweeping gun law changes the last couple of years. The Supreme Court told New York that they were violating uh, the Constitution and our rights. And New York came back with uh, within 13 days or so of the legislation or the Supreme Court decision passed sweeping legislation that absolutely went well beyond what the Supreme Court said they were already doing wrong. Uh, There's five cases tied up in federal court right now challenging all different aspects of it. Uh, But one aspect uh, area that's going to take effect is how it's going to affect firearms dealers as of the middle of September. Two big things for firearm dealers. Number one, um, they have said 
that they've set new security requirements for their facilities. And ostensibly, unless your store uh, is a vault, meets the requirements of a vault, the expectation is that every night, every piece of inventory will be taken out of the store and locked in a vault. So, you know, you see jewelers do this all the time. They take their little baubles out of the front windows and out of the cases and put them in the vault. But you go into a gun shop that has a thousand or two thousand firearms and rifles and shotguns, and the thought of having to move a thousand pieces of inventory every twenty you know every day when you close and then put them back out the next day just absolutely impossible it's a physical impossibility right and, and and this is and by the way, that is a good way to characterize most of these new rules they are imp- they are impracticable. Uh, if not impossible. Right. The, the next thing that's affecting firearms dealers, it's having a significant effect. So right now, Bob, you want to go and buy a rifle, shotgun, or if you have a pistol permit, a pistol. Uh, they run a NICS check. It's a federal check. It goes right to the federal government. It's computerized right now. Uh, you can They can do it manually, and they can call in. You fill out a form, uh, the one that Hunter Biden lied on. Yeah. Um, and with, with no consequence. With no consequence. You fill out the form. And the, the gun dealer either calls the federal government up and checks and see, sees if you're disqualified from possessing or uh, the bigger stores that, you know, can afford it. There's a c- computer system where you stand right there and you fill out the computer form and it, the results go right to the salesperson to let them know that you are not disqualified and you can purchase that firearm that you're trying to purchase. There's three, uh, three potential outcomes. Uh, right. One is proceed. Right. Uh, one is at hold. Is that what it's called? Yeah. And then the other is denied. Denied. Right. And there's 13 reasons why you can be denied. Um, but New York. So what some states do, though, some states handle that process. New York was not one of them. So when an, when a firearms dealer called the phone number or got online, it went right to the federal government. Well, New York has stuck itself in between the firearm dealer and the federal government, which means now, as of the middle of September, your uh, firearms dealers are going to be calling the state, the state police, and the state police are going to go run the NICS check, and then they're going to tell you what the results are. So they say. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see um, – And so they've created this whole new bureaucracy in the state that was not necessary. Ostensibly, what they're doing. um, It's all about control. So not not only control, but also creating a database of every gun that's sold in the state, which up to this point, at least officially, had not been the case. So now you're creating an extra layer. They created a whole new bureaucracy in Albany. And of course. Who's got to pay for that? Well, that would be you. That's right. Anybody purchasing. The other, the second part of that is that if you want to buy ammo now, they're, they're doing, they can't do NICS checks legally for ammo. It's against the law. Uh, NICS checks are only for buying firearms. But now the state's creating its own database that the, uh, firearms dealers are going to, ha- ammo dealers are going to have to call in, whether you're buying one box of ammo or whether you're buying a pallet of it. Um, They've got to call in and do a background check on you on a new complete database system that the state's creating. And, of course, someone's got to pay for this. And that will be you. 
And that will be us. So that'll be added in to every purchase of ammunition, no matter if you're buying one box of 22 caliber, you know, bullets, uh, ammunition, or you're buying whatever, uh, this background check is going to have to occur so every single time you, you go to buy ammunition. So there's some ambiguity as to whether the $2.50 charge applies to one box or whether it applies to, you know, like you said, a mass purchase. Well, they're saying it's per purchase. So um, for now, for now, we'll see. Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows how this is going to work? This is a new database, and just absolutely, um, you know, just very difficult to see how this is all going to work. But uh, we'll, we'll follow up with this more when we come back. Uh, we'll be back shortly with more of Valor Radio. WYSL, 92.1 FM, 95.5 FM West, AM 1040. Your go-to for standard of specialized business insurance coverage. MGM Associates of Rochester, now serving the region and beyond in New York. Since 1984, MGM has provided leading coverage from a wide range of carriers. Not only home, condo, boat, motorcycle, and auto, but also specialized policies for all types of businesses, including nonprofits and law firms, livery insurance, property insurance, and bonds for all needs. MGM Associates of Rochester provides auto, workers' comp, health care, and liability coverage. Choose from virtual appointments or good old in-office, in-person consults by appointment at our Penfield office. Five-time consecutive winner of the National Best Practices Award, MGM is proud to support veterans groups. For your personal business, home, or professional insurance needs, meet the experienced staff at MGM Associates. Locally and proudly owned at 1745 Penfield Road in Penfield, 381-7008 or mgminsure.com. An associate of Finger Lakes Fire and Casualty, Route 227, Trumansburg, New York. The colors are red for valor, white for innocence, and blue for justice. Our nation's flag proclaims liberty for all. And our military service members continue to fight for the right to live in freedom. Honor their service and sacrifice with an American-made flag from the Stars and Stripes Flag Store. Visit eflagstore.com to shop now. All proceeds support Veterans Outreach Center and local veterans. Join Abate Monroe County, American bikers aimed toward education and help adult bikers ride free and safe. Check out our meetings on the third Friday monthly at Wise Guys Diner and Catering, 2811 Dewey Avenue. Join Abate for less than 50 cents a week. Google Abate Monroe County on the web. Hey, how about becoming a member of the National Warplane Museum in Geneseo, New York? Help us preserve history. Plus, you get some pretty fancy benefits. Visit us online, nationalwarplanemuseum.com. Hello? Uh, I'm a Marine. It took me a long time to make this call. If you or a veteran in your life is experiencing thoughts of suicide, dial 988, then press 1 to reach the Veterans Crisis Line. From Niagara Falls to the Adirondacks and from Canada to Pennsylvania, you're listening to Valor Radio. We are back in here with Valor Radio. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, by the way, uh, in keeping with uh, Mr. Harrington's letter, he very kindly sent us, uh, let our advertisers know, too, that uh, that you appreciate the programming on the station. You, you have no idea. It's just like one, two, three, 
good calls or uh, emails or even better still, an in-person visit really convinces these folks that their advertising dollars are well spent. And it really helps us continue to bring us bring us to bring to you the, uh, the program that you enjoy so much. Again, here's the Colonel. Thanks, Robert. One final thing. I just, um, you know, I, I've done a lot of work with firearms, with uh, the courts and other things uh, here and, and around uh, around the state before I was working uh, for the sheriff and just went finished a complete cycle of, um, I said, I would say giving talks to people, trying to make sure everybody understood what these new laws were. Uh, spoke to several police, retired police organizations in the area and around and um, I'll be damned. You know, they slipped something in for retired police officers. It made it more difficult. Uh, we know after 9-11, uh, a law was passed. It was called H.R. 218 that gave police officers the right to carry their firearms anywhere in the country. And for retired police officers that met certain qualifications to carry their firearms anywhere in the country. Well, New York slip some language in, and we know now that the entire state is broken into two areas. We've got sensitive locations and restricted locations. Then, simplistically speaking, restricted locations are any private property. Mm-hmm. Um, and sensitive locations are, you name it. Everything else. Everything else. Um, so, hypothetically, you know, a regular citizen like you or me driving down the street in our car with our legally possessed firearm, if we pull in to get gas... And there's not a sign we're on violation. We're committing a felony if we pull into a parking lot of a shopping mall. We're committing a felony. <clears throat> you know, uh, it just absolutely you can't do anything but drive straight down the road now and without and never pull off and without committing a felony. Um, these are one of the, you know, these cases that are in, in the federal courts right now that are taking so long. They've been sitting, nothing's happened since March on these cases. Thought by now we'd have some resolution. And the reason I'm just bringing all this up is because these now, you know, one of the challenges are for these FFLs having to, you know, make it impossible for them to do business. These things are all taking effect in the next couple of months. And um, the federal courts are just sitting on these cases uh, and letting these systems oh, it's uh, go the second place. Circuit. What do you expect? So yeah. it just really is an uh, absolute challenge. Um, so getting on to some, uh, uh, some military topics, um, the military is shrinking. Well, we've known that for some time. And again, again, this is all part of the left's assault on the foundation stones of our society. So you know, we're going after we're going after pop culture. Of course, politics is what it is, and this has been affecting the military profoundly for the last what twenty years. Yeah, I would say so. We we hit a milestone um, this year, and we didn't talk about it on the actual anniversary, but uh, this spring was the fiftieth anniversary of the all volunteer force. So uh, when I was very young and you were in your mid, you know, your, your teens into 20s, 23, right? Um, you know, everybody, our males anyway, had a you know, good chance of being drafted. And that ended in 1973. And we've, we've 
relied completely on an all-volunteer force since then. There's been no, and well, many countries, many Western countries, European countries still had mandatory service. There are still lots of countries in the world that have mandatory service, but uh, um, it we've done it with an all-volunteer force. And we saw uh, a change occur in the military. Uh, and, you know, the, the folks that stuck it out after Vietnam wanted to rebuild the military, all the services and some People dedicated their lives to, you know, making the military what it needed to be. And we started to see those changes happening. Ronald Reagan came in right at the right time uh, to put money where the commitment to, to that was. And we saw a tremendous advancement of the military through the 80s and into the early 90s. And, um, uh, you know, we started to see a little bit of a drawback after um, after the wall came down, after the Soviet Union came apart. Uh, but we are at a stage right now where uh, the Army is going to be smaller or as small or smaller than it was before Pearl Harbor. That's saying something. Um, so there were more tro- more Army troops in Europe in 1980 than there are in the Army right now. And we're saying... Why Why does this matter? Well, because our commitments around the world haven't changed. Um, we've got very small forces um, that are being are, are are deploying at 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 a level comparable or greater than what was happening during the twenty years since nine eleven, um, and this has just had a devastating effect on retention. We know what the problem is with recruitment, you know, we just uh, for a lot of different reasons. Um, but retention, you know, they, they try to the Army tries to work on a system of one for three. So for every six months, you're deployed someplace, you're home for 18 months. They're not even doing a one for two right now. They're less than one for two because um, the military is so small. We've got big commitments. We've got combat brigades over in your, Europe rotating through. We've got people in the Middle East. We still have people in Syria and in Africa, significant numbers of folks. And these units are rotating through and they're just, they're burning out, um, burning out the folks that are on active duty right now. Uh, so absolutely difficult thing. What, what does that mean? Well, that means I will tell you up until 1990, um, National Guard was a pretty safe bet. <laughs> You join the National Guard, your odds of going anywhere, pretty, you know, you, you do your two weeks in the summer, do your one weekend a month. Uh, that hasn't been that way for a while, though, right? No, but especially since 9-11, uh, it hasn't been that way. And uh, you're in the National Guard unit, you're in the reserves, uh, you're going places. And the system isn't set up to where it used to be. It was a nice thing to be able to augment with the reserves and national guard. Now it's become a necessity. It's become the standard. Now the expectation that these national guard units are going to rotate through. I understand they're capable. They've done great jobs, the reserve units and national guard, but they are not full-time forces and the expectations for training and qualifications, the standards are all the same as for units to do it 365 days a year, rather than the 48 days a year that, a reserve or national guard unit is supposed to be ready. Um, so it just, it's having a tremendous effect. What happens when a national guard unit is gone? Well, we, you know, we typically see national guard work in times of, uh, natural disaster, civil disobedience, other things like that. What happens in a hotel in Cheektowaga? Um, well that too. (laughs) 
if that's the correct mission. Um, but uh, w- what happens when, when the National Guard, your state's National Guard is deployed to someplace? That happened during Katrina. Most of the new uh, the Louisiana National Guard was deployed at that time. I, for, I don't remember if it was Afghanistan or Iraq, but they were gone. And they weren't there. And so now you got governors begging for help from National Guards from other states or the or the active duty force has to pick up that. And, you know, we find ourselves in a situation. So the unintended consequences and uh, this uh, recruiting and retention problem is having a dramatic effect all across not only the military, but across the rest of the nation. Parents of Music, we'll be back shortly with more Valor Radio on the WYSL stations. From Niagara Falls to the Adirondacks and from Canada to Pennsylvania, you're listening to Valor Radio. We are back in here with Valor Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. Steve Momano, the captain, not with us this week, but uh, we hope he's feeling better next week and will be in the air chair along with Colonel Paul Simonelli. Thanks, Robert. So um, a little bit of a predicament in in Washington right now. Uh, Which one? Well, with the Department of Defense, uh, you have three service chiefs positions that are unconfirmed by the Senate. um, And... I think they're saying over 200 flag officer positions unconfirmed by the Senate. Tommy Tuberville. Yes, is holding that up, uh, wanting, and a senator can do it, a single senator can hold that up, and he has been now for months. Um, And it's it's looking pretty bad as a nation. Uh, Do I agree with why he's doing it? Yes. Do I, is this the only tactic that... uh, What's the end result here? Is someone going to give in? Is the Department of Defense going to give in uh, on um, on their policy that they promulgated after the Supreme Court uh, did away with uh, uh, Roe versus Wade? Um, I I don't know what the answer is. I I'm staunchly pro-life. I have been my entire life. I've never varied from that. Uh, but right now we have the services are in a bit of disarray. I mean, are things going on? Sure. Are there acting chiefs? Sure, there are. You know, someone sitting in that office without the confirmation. Are they? Are, is anything not happening that should be happening? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if there's a limitation, but there's a lot of moves. I mean, once again, there there's a downward as people get promoted and move in and you know move out. Uh, other people are coming in to fill those spots. Uh, it does have a, a human effect. These families are being held up 
Uh, you know, they try to work moves around family life so that uh, kids are settled for schools wherever their new assignments are going to be. And a lot of things are being held up right now because of it. I don't I, I know they're screaming in Washington about this like it's the end of the world. I don't think it's the end of the world. I just think it's uh, uh, probably both, you know, if DOD will not sit down or the administration won't sit down and try to work this out, it shows that's where I have my problem, uh, that there's no no willingness to sit down and discuss and come to some sort of a, a workable compromise. Uh, we, we shouldn't be playing with defense like this. We really, the, that's what I guess the troubling part is. The topic, I'm perfectly okay with the issue, um, but uh, there's got to be a better way to do this. I don't know what your thoughts on it are, Bob. Well, I don't know. It's kind of the, uh, you know, irresistible force and immovable object. How, how, do you, how do you negotiate an issue like this? I, I don't know. I but right now well, there's no one talking. Where's where's the middle ground? Yeah. Um what's the middle ground? Uh that uh well, I guess the middle ground would be maybe uh not paying for for folks to go to different states for abortion, but maybe giving them leave without charge, you know, don't charge them leave, but they do it at their own expense. I don't know. There's always there's all. I mean, politics is about compromise. It's also about ideology these days. Well, and that's every, that's the that's the rub. That well, everything, but everything is not. Everything is not ideological, or it shouldn't be. But it is. Right? I understand. That's where we've. You know, it used to be ninety eight percent of the stuff people could sit down and come up with a workable compromise. That's what government's supposed to be. Government is not a zero-sum. Elections are zero-sum. either win or you lose. But government is not zero-sum. And what, unfortunately, government has moved into this, and people in government have moved into this, where they're intransigent. They, everything is a life or death. Every issue you know, is going to mean the difference. On just So there's there's got to be some... A change in that, and this is not good for the Department of Defense. I, I, the world's not going to come to an end because of what's going on. Um, but there has to be, you know, we have to pick our battles, and there, there has to be a willingness to sit down. One senator should not ultimately control uh, the the entire activities of the Department of Defense. Nor, I, I, nor should the military be used as a as, as a, a fulcrum for social change. Absolutely. Which has nothing to do with the military mission. Absolutely. It's all, and it unfortunately has been, and, and sometimes for good. Uh, you know, the, the military... It shouldn't, it shouldn't happen either way. I well, mean, but it, sometimes it happens for good. In the 1950s, you know, the, the military fully integrated before the rest of, of society. Uh, in the United States, okay, that's, looking, that's looking inward, though, is it not? I mean, it, that's it's mostly based um, on uh, uh, you know personnel issues within the military. Well, personnel issue, but that that set an example for a nation looking for a solution. So I I, I understand most. I agree with you. The, the 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 military should not be pawns of 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 social. Engineering, and we got away with that. I mean, you know, we we uh, we squeaked under the wire, and that one worked for us. But when we start to make this a practice, and this is one of the 
This is one of the uses to which the military is put. Now we're on a slippery slope, and that's how we get where we are today. Right. And so to bring this into focus, the Supreme Court just in a, in a recent decision a couple of weeks ago did away, pretty much did away with affirmative action, saying you can't, you know, using racial basis for selecting people uh, for otherwise competitive uh, uh, college spots was not acceptable, except the chief justice stuck in a footnote that the military academies were exempt from uh, using racial preferences in their selection process without any explanation about that, how that's supposed to work or what the limits of it are, or are there no limits on it? And so they, they set up the four service academies now, or the three big service academies, the Coast Guard Academy, set it up for litigation. And it's starting already. Um, by throwing that footnote in, I'm not sure what the chief justice, what his reasoning was for doing that. I don't, I think once again, the military should be a reflection of society. And if something we don't allow in society, we're not going to allow in society, then we should not allow that in the military or the military academy. So now um, just setting the stage for, we're going to spend the next 10 years litigating this. um, And this is uh you know, this this is definitely uh, something that we're going to see once again, using the military for social engineering. And uh, it, it's going to be very interesting to see, uh, you know, these lawsuits start uh, lining up against the services and, and the service academies. So uh, I agree wholeheartedly with you. We shouldn't be using the military for uh, social engineering or but uh, we've got to. uh Everybody needs to take a step back and and take a breath, and uh, we've got to find a better way to do what we're trying to do here. Um, you know, we're, we're we're seeing things like uh, recruiters now. the The Department of Defense IG is saying that recruiters have violated uh, uh, the SecDef's policy on trying to uh, weed out extremists uh, in the recruiting process. Uh, 14, you know, they're saying 14% of the people that were arrested on January ended up being arrested because of January 6th were either veterans or active duty military. Uh, SecDef put, uh, uh, signed an order saying that there had to be uh, a, a review process in the recruiting process to make sure that we weren't recruiting extremists into the military. Ah, uh, there's the rub. There what's, you, what's an extremist? Well, you know what? I tried to get my hands. Uh, so there's, there's a questionnaire that has to be filled out as part of the hundred forms that you have to fill out when you join the military. I'm trying to get my hands on it. I haven't been able to get my hands on it. So I don't know what it is they're asking there. Um, well, if, if it's uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to, we're trying to root out uh, any of these uh, organizations, which are basically self-help groups for, uh, for unhappy white older guys <laughs> you um, know, that, I, that are essentially innocuous yeah i mean we've got right now we got a uh you know we've talked this is all tied together we talked about the recruiting problems we talked about the retention problems you know we know that only less than a third of the 18 to 25 year olds even qualify meet the minimum qualifications for military service um so we're starting with a pretty small pool to start with um and you know you add in another layer here i haven't i'd love to see this questionnaire that the recruiters are using um uh, that they that they're required mandated to use by the secretary of defense but uh 
let's see, extremists and hate organizations, ideologies and affiliations that are antithetical to Army Corps values. It is important to follow all the required steps for screening applicants for extremist hate and crime gang associations during the accessions process. Applicants associated with beliefs and or organizations are neither permitted nor suited to access uh, in the United States Army. So, I don't know, we're trying to figure this all out, but uh, we do have some uh, great challenges right in front of us right now. Hearing some music, we're going to take a break and we'll come back for our last segment of Valor Radio. More Valor Radio after we root out some subversives during the break. Don't go away. Your go-to for standard of specialized business insurance coverage. MGM Associates of Rochester, now serving the region and beyond in New York. Since 1984, MGM has provided leading coverage from a wide range of carriers. Not only home, condo, boat, motorcycle, and auto, but also specialized policies for all types of businesses, including nonprofits and law firms, livery insurance, property insurance, and bonds for all needs. MGM Associates of Rochester provides auto, workers' comp, health care, and liability coverage. Choose from virtual appointments or good old in-office, in-person consults by appointment at our Penfield office. Five-time consecutive winner of the National Best Practices Award, MGM is proud to support veterans groups. For your personal business, home, or professional insurance needs, meet the experienced staff at MGM Associates. Locally and proudly owned at 1745 Penfield Road in Penfield, 381-7008 or mgminsure.com. An associate of Finger Lakes Fire and Casualty, Route 227, Trumansburg, New York. The colors are red for valor, white for innocence, and blue for justice. Our nation's flag proclaims liberty for all, and our military service members continue to fight for the right to live in freedom. Honor their service and sacrifice with an American-made flag from the Stars and Stripes Flag Store. Visit eflagstore.com to shop now. All proceeds support Veterans Outreach Center and local veterans. As a veteran of the United States military, I can finally get the opportunity to enjoy special events, things that we couldn't afford, thanks to Ventix. Every empty seat at a concert, a game, or a play is a missed opportunity to say thanks to a veteran and service member. We can give our veterans a special event where they, too, can create their own cherished memories. Visit VetTix.org. Find out how you can make a difference in a veteran's life. You're listening to Valor Radio with Colonel Paul Simonelli. Thanks so much for joining us here on Valor Radio. Tell a buddy about the program, and uh, we would appreciate that very much. As we record this uh, program early, early, zero dark 30 here on uh, uh, Tuesday mornings, we have breaking news, and that is the passing of Charles D. Pasquale, former Mount Morris police chief and town supervisor, uh, well-known to so many people here in Livingston County, a great guy, and uh, he'll be missed. Paul, you had a footnote. Yeah, just a footnote. Uh, as with uh, you know, many of the uh, folks that continued to serve in their civilian life, uh, Chief uh, D. Pasquale was uh, in the Army, a Vietnam-era veteran, worked in the uh, Army Medical Corps um, during the Vietnam War. So uh, uh, just our, our thoughts and prayers with his family and uh, 
uh, you know, looking at another, a life well lived, started with service to his nation and uh, came back and never stopped serving uh, his community uh, and the people and, you know, lots of other things. He was president of the New York State uh, Chiefs of Police Association, lots of other things like that, that uh, just a life of service. And we thank you for that service. And uh, we'll keep you in our thoughts and in our prayers uh, and in your family. Yes, and may flights of angels sing thee to thy rest. Uh, one more miscellaneous item here, the oft-repeated uh, sentiment on this program, uh, maybe not necessarily that from the, from the colonel here, but mine and uh, I know Steve's has been that no no structure should be named or nothing should be named after somebody until they're dead. Oh, I agree with you. Okay. You've heard me argue. I've been saying this as long as I've been on the air with you. And our friend uh, Roger Jastel, who is a frequent listener here, uh, uh, seconds that. He said, I'm making an exception to my idea to only name things after someone who's died. They could also be named after MOH recipients, and that's Medal of Honor, yes? Right. Uh, Marine... Uh, First Lieutenant Harvey Barney Barnum jumped to the ground when he came under fire during an ambush in Vietnam that killed his radio operator and commander. Collecting himself, Barnum realized he was now the highest-ranking officer of a rifle company he just joined. He called in artillery and, amid gunfire, dragged the commander to safety, where he died in Barnum's arms. He then proceeded to mount a counterattack, oversee evacuation of the wounded, and lead the unit's eventual breakout to join the battalion. The Medal of Honor recipient, now 83, watched Saturday. Now, we got this on the 1st of uh, August, so it's a couple weeks old. As his wife smashed a bottle of sparkling wine against the bow to christen the future U.S. Navy destroyer that will bear the name Harvey C. Barnum, Jr. He said he was speechless when he learned a warship would bear his name. Quote, as anybody that knows Barney Barnum knows, I've never been speechless, he joked before the event. In an interview, Barnum said the combat was harrowing on that day, December 18, 1965, during Operation Harvest Moon. His uh, unit was outnumbered, caught off guard, and separated from the larger battalion outside the village of Kifu in Kwangtin Province. The ship's namesake said he was scared like anybody else. He tried not to show, show it. Uh, the other Marines were looking to him, an artillery spotter after their commander died. He, uh, that's what he said, to launch a counterattack. He brandished a forty-five caliber handgun and told the others to follow him, and they did. Just amazing, amazing. Uh, I'd make that exception. <laughs> I think I would. Youthful indiscretion, but uh, I, I guess that's why young men uh, fight wars. Uh, Before they get old and chicken. Well, like or, us. Uh, or yeah, or they start thinking about the ramifications, but God, God love them, and that's great, and that's that's. That's the type of place that's a, a ship should be named for a person who who should, who uh you know displayed that level of valor and uh thanks for sending it along yeah, Roger appreciate that. Really appreciate all your input uh Roger but uh absolutely I know uh it makes me crazy when I drive on RIT's campus or um you know, there's not enough named after Louis Slaughter, so now apparently they're taking the Fairport Post Office and renaming that. And, and her husband. And her husband. And you know what? There's enough buildings named after her. I'm sure there are there are military heroes or other people that have made a significant difference in this community. Um, and my biggest problem with Louise Slaughter was, aside from not agreeing with her, her, her views on almost everything, she did nothing for this community, if you matched her up against other people with the level of seniority that she had in Congress, 
she brought nothing home. She didn't bring the pork home. And and you look at her career. It was just there really was nothing that she did that really stands out for this community, you know, that specifically benefited this community. I, right, right. Well, well, out of the ashes of the downtown performing arts center and bus station transit center that was uh, championed by the late Bill Nojay, uh, somehow she wound up with uh, some little replica of the Bragdon uh, uh, train station that has been built over on Central Avenue. That's a nice little building. It's okay. Right. Uh, but, uh, I, I mean, uh, you know, that was strict opportunism by her and some other people in local politics. Uh, and, uh, but no, you're right. Uh, and, uh, b- by the way, we can think of some other people who come to mind when you're using this descriptor. Uh, Absolutely. In, in Absolutely. Doing nothing, just basically just filling a seat. Filling the seat and putting out tweets and press releases that are fed from, you know, some democratic machine someplace. Uh, and staff. And- so this is, yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, I'm, I'm all for, you know, showing some recognition for people that really did a lot. Just surviving 30 years in Congress is not that that's not an that's an accomplishment but it's a selfish narcissistic accomplishment it's not when you when you return nothing to the community uh, and i'm talking about relative to other people that spend as long in congress i mean there's people there are congress people and i'm not saying it was right or wrong congress people that had airports built that they have no flights every day i mean just oh like the one in johnstown pennsylvania right you yeah, know exactly yeah, what yeah. i'm talking about exactly uh, but the point is they're they're you know if if they're not she definitely wasn't doing anything on a national or international level. She wasn't one of those people that did anything like that. And I know people love her here. I know, I know a lot of folks that are the otherwise. Question, the question is why, right? Yeah, I mean, right. And, and, <laughs> and not only that. I mean, it's not even the, you know just being there for thirty or thirty-five years or whatever. Uh, you know, isn't even that much of an accomplishment because of the advantage of incumbency right it's enormous right and you know she had a couple of scares in those years and you know but for you know us doing better than 24 percent of the people voting that can vote she probably wouldn't have been there but what folks this is you know you you get you reap what you sow and you've got to get people out to vote if everybody that if most of the people voted that have the ability to vote, things would be so dramatically different because right, it really is the silent majority sitting out there right now. Just have to. I know people are frustrated. They don't think the vote makes a difference. But, uh, you know, she almost. Of course, it, of course it doesn't if you don't show up. Right. Uh, you got to folks. You got to listen to the listen to the colonel. You've got to register. You've got to get out and vote. You've got to get your friends to get out and vote. You have to do it, especially you gun owners. This is is what happens when you don't vote. And we have been harping on this for the last 10 or 12 years on this radio station, on this program, on Second Amendment Radio. You have got to participate in the process. Stop making excuses. It's not dangerous. You're not exposing yourself to you know any kind of official action by voting. It's uh, it's your, your right and your obligation as a citizen. If if every if every gun owner in this county voted, there wouldn't be any question about you know who would be in office, and it would be very different from what's going on right now. We've got you know there's probably forty to fifty thousand people with active pistol permits in this county. There's probably over 700,000 firearms in Monroe County. You know, many many people own more than one, but 
if everybody that owned firearms voted, I know that's not the only issue out there, but it, it, it's it's an important issue and it sets it's a benchmark for what what else the the state's going to get away with doing. And the the easiest way to defeat this is through voting. The courts are inefficient by their very nature. We've had five lawsuits sitting around for a year and a half. Nothing's happened since March in them with them, and it's ultimately not letting. We shouldn't let judges. Right, be the ones making this is these are people. These are for the people. Policy these are decisions. Not, you can't. Right. You can't. You can't let the policy be determined by courts because there's only one person who wins in lawsuits, as we all know. Right. So anyway, as we're uh, as we're wrapping things up this week, the the other thing I just want to bring people's attention very quickly, and I'm not sure how much time we have, but uh, one minute. Okay. The PACT Act, this has to do for people that were exposed to uh, burn pits and other uh, toxic uh, exposures in the military. Uh, A lot of people have had uh, uh, the physicals for those. A lot of people have filed claims. Uh, Folks, you need to do that. Time is running out. And uh, um, if you have served in the last 20 years or so, or 30 years, you need to... uh, uh, make sure you at least fill out the questionnaire and see if you qualify for more. All right, I'm hearing some music. We're going to take uh, leave for this week. Uh, let's keep our soldiers, sailors, airmen, coasties, guardians, uh, and all those serving our nation uh, in your thoughts and in your prayers. Uh, Captain Steve, we'll see you back next week here on Valor Radio. From my head down to my boots, I don't do it for the money. There's bills that I can't pay I don't do it for the glory I just do it anyway Providing for our futures My responsibility Yeah, I'm real good on the pressure Being all that I can be I can't call in sick on Mondays When the weekend's been too strong I just work straight through the holidays Sometimes all night long.